Hey, it's Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Go Be More podcast. Today we're speaking with Tina Muir, a former elite marathoner from England who gave up the sport in her prime and is now host to two groundbreaking podcasts. Tina's success in running masks some difficult challenges, including a multi-year bout with amenorrhea, or a lack of a menstrual cycle. Knowing that she wanted to have kids, she gave up her career in order to get her body right and try to become a mom. The experience drove her to start her first podcast, Running For Real, where she has real conversations with runners about the sport and the challenges that runners face. Having grown that podcast into a business, she has now embarked on a new project called Running Realized. She and her co-host Knox Robinson are making a fully produced show tackling major issues in the sport. As an advocate for the climate, for BIPOC communities, and social change, Tina keeps pushing herself as she pushes to make the world a better place. And before we get to her conversation, let me remind any new listeners about who we are at Go Be More. At Go Be More, our mission is simple. We want you to chase your dreams. So how does a clothing company help people chase their dreams? Well, I'm glad you asked. The clothes we wear are like every other part of our physical environment. They not only represent us, they reinforce who we are and who we're committed to being. When you wear a Go Be More shirt, you're wearing your personal commitment to Go Be More, to chase those dreams. And what better way to show someone you support them than to give them a physical symbol of your belief in them? We want the words Go Be More to remind you of your dreams every time you see them. And as for this podcast, this is our chance to explore what it means to Go Be More with the people who inspire us and to share those stories and strategies with you. As always, if you have any feedback, you can email me at brian at gobemore.co or hit us up on social media. Okay, here's our conversation with Tina Muir. All right, Tina Muir, welcome to the Go Be More podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I have the biggest smile on my face because I feel like Ryan and I are getting so spoiled. We're getting getting some podcasters on our podcast show. So we, we're getting some experienced guests here. So it makes the conversations, I think, a little bit more elevated because everybody kind of knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except for sometimes podcasters like to flip it because they forget that they're being interviewed. And so they're like, so what do you think about this? Uh, At least that's what's happened with the people I've interviewed. I would love that. I kind of feel like that helps (laughs) it to be more conversational. I I get worried when we're asking too many questions and it doesn't feel like they're able to bat the ball back to us, almost like Mm -hmm. a tennis match kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So let's definitely have that if we can, because my conversation with you on your podcast show, I loved it so much. And I just was so excited (laughs) to have you on ours so we could continue the conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Well, Tita, can I ask you, obviously, people listening who don't know you can hear that you have a little bit of an accent. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and sort of, you know, uh, uh, your background, uh, maybe where you grew up as a kid? Yeah, well, see, it's funny because sometimes people say, where are you from? And I'll say England and they'll be like, yeah, no, duh. And, uh, (laughs) And sometimes they'll say, where are you from? And I'll say England and they're like, oh, I thought maybe it was New Zealand. And I never really know which direction to head. Sometimes when it's the people who know the country, they're a bit like, yeah, of course. Like, why did you even feel the need to say that? But yes, (laughs) I am from just north of London uh, in England, although I did live in Indiana for three years when I was two to five. So America has Ah. been ingrained in my life from an early, uh, especially Indiana is pretty typical, like Midwestern American. And so then I was in England till I was 18. And then I came over here for university for school and then um, stayed. 
you lived or grew up in St. Albans, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know how many people know it, but I lived in England for a couple of years and I lived in North London and St. Albans was the city just north that you could drive to and it had the beautiful cathedral. They had mm-hmm. lots of other little things to do. You could walk around. It was just like this quaint little cathedral town. And I'm sure it's probably a bigger area than I explored. I just sort of went around the main town area, but it's got the cute little clock tower, all the little things that, yes. just, that, that just has this classic English feel. It's really cool. It does. I love hearing that. I do not come across people very often that have uh, even heard of St. Albans. I often have people say, oh, where? And I'll say London and they'll say where? And then I'll just be like, <laughs> you're not going to have heard of it. And they'll be like, yeah, I know someone from like Surrey or Bath. And I'm like, okay, good good for you, I guess. Like, do you know everyone that lives in California? <laughs> I, um, <laughs> yeah. That's so cool to hear. And yeah, it is. It actually gets used in commercials a lot because it's like a textbook little. It's even got like, John, I don't know if you'd know this, but like Mm -hmm. from, I don't know what I, this is embarrassing. I don't know this, but when they used to have carriages and people would step out of their houses and the sidewalk is raised like four feet in the air so people could walk straight into the carriage. Um, So we have a lot of streets that are still like that now. So the sidewalk is like four feet high. Wow. Um, I didn't know that was the reason. <laughs> yeah, I just sort of saw really high sidewalks sometimes. And it was just yeah, like, oh. no, and you probably That's... saw like the overhangs of the buildings where uh-huh. they used to like throw their poop out the window, and then they would walk under the overhang so that they didn't get anything on them. Oh, Our favorite yeah. thing to wow. do on weekends <laughs> with my wife was to just pick a town that we'd never been to and just drive to it and spend the day wandering around. And so many towns have gigantic amazing cathedrals and Mm. old you know 400 year old town squares and stuff where it's just it was a wonderful way to spend a day yeah uh, especially if you had good weather right if you otherwise you're exploring the insides only but it's um yeah it was really cool St. Albans was beautiful I'm curious you were there till you were 18 and I wanted to ask you sort of this is a question that I don't really know anything about I think about running and I don't know if you were always a runner or you did other sports but in the U.S. Running is all very like school oriented sport. You don't mm-hmm. start it until you get into a school. And usually people join a junior high team or a high school team or something. But I know that in England, sports can be different. There's sort of clubs outside of school. And I know that's the system for soccer. And I don't know how many other sports. So I'm curious, how did you get into running? And how does the system kind of work for, I guess, high school age students when you're getting started? It's definitely very different. I mean, we have access to all the sports, so you would probably sense pretty early on which things you were good at because you have like rotations in PE class. So we would do a basketball rotation and a tennis rotation and a cross-country rotation, which, Mm -hmm. of course, was everyone's least favorite, including me. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so you got to like test out the sports. But other than that, I think it was like a six or an eight-week block of twice a week you would do that, that activity. Other than that, everything is through clubs. So the school might have a team. And I think I had maybe 200 people in my high school class. I'm not, yeah, I think about 180. And so, you know, decent size, but I think for most of my years, there was maybe three or four people on the cross country team from my class. And then the final year, it was just me. So If you can imagine that in a high school, like that would be pretty rare. Same Uh with, I did do tennis and I think there was three people in the tennis team. So yeah, I did field hockey for a little while as well. And that was a little different, you know, more people obviously needed, but it's all done through clubs, which means you would meet at 6.30 PM at a track or some grass fields and run around it. And then I'd be running alongside 
40 year old women just like all ages there's me 15 and 40 year old women just all of us together and obviously there would be potentially older women as well but around the speed I was that was kind of the limit of age there was but yeah so it was all done through clubs all the races were done through clubs there were a few school races but most of it is you meet a coach through that you do everything and the only thing that really stands out to me is when I was over here when I was coming up to my final year of college people kept saying are you going to go pro are you going to go pro and I was like what does that even mean because in England because it's done through clubs there's a slight drop off at the end of high school where people realize they can go out drinking when they get to college and then start doing that and stop. But if you make it past that point, you're running for life. Like there's no drop off. And so here it was really strange to me that I finished college with my graduating class and no one, like they all just quit or took two years off and stuff. So that was really, I just couldn't wrap my brain around it when people would say, you're going pro. And I was like, well, I'm going to, keep running I don't know if that means I'm going pro or not I really struggled to understand it because in England the club thing means you just go all the way through like till Mm -hmm. there might be 80 year old women in a race that I was in so it's just kind of like road racing but it was like that for cross country and for track and everything I find that really interesting because we don't have the same kind of cultural outlook on sports when we're young in terms of the transition from being in school and it's kind of already accessible in terms of like it's part of the culture or the lifestyle of the school, maybe if you're university or high school, whatever, but then you graduate and then you get into the quote unquote real world. And and that for Americans, for the most part, it just goes away or it's this really foreign thing in terms of wanting to include it on your own as, as far as your lifestyle. I don't know. I just find that really fascinating because we don't have that at all here. And the fact that you have it, in England, it is pretty common, I guess, abroad. That's why I think we struggle so much with so many different things. We're missing things mm-hmm. like this in our culture. So that's really cool. It's re- refreshing to hear that it is at least more so a part of your culture than it is here. I think it's um, it's good and bad. I mean, here with the grassroots and all the schools, you obviously have a ginormous pool of people to like filter up to the top. And over there, you know, if you didn't apply yourself in PE class, then you'd never get picked out. I had a a teacher say to me, you need to go join a club. Otherwise, I would have had no idea. So without getting picked out, and if you just happened to be at a school where there wasn't a lot of support, you wouldn't get that. And then you'd never know. Whereas if you the school way you have it here, obviously, people just do it and it's funneled up. But yeah, there's the other side of it that it's um, like, I think over here, when people train and work it's wow look at this person who's working full-time and their training especially at the higher levels whereas in England it's just yeah of course I'm running it's my hobby I'll do that in the evenings after work and it's not a big deal so um that middle ground like the average person I feel is a bit more just kind of it's maybe that stiff upper lip thing but I just get on with it like I work all day I have kids but twice a week I'm gonna go to the track and I'm gonna run around it so it's so cool (laughs) there's definitely a lifestyle component to it that's that's kind of baked in is very different and i feel like we look at sport in america as it's more about the competition and the achievements in that time period that you're in as like an extracurricular activity as opposed to a a lifestyle thing we had a teammate named lena back when we were in college who, who was from sweden and she came over from sweden and joined us 
And the exact same thing. She was in a club. She was training with older women, older competitive men. She was just in this group with everybody training with them. And at some point, she'd already made the decision to change coaches. She was very almost mature about what the sport was because she mm. was surrounded by people who'd been doing it with a broader perspective for a long time. Right. Mm. And so she owned her training in a way that kind of surprised me. Whereas I was a college athlete who was just like, yeah, coach tells me to do this. That's what I do. And she came in going, this is the workouts that I would do for myself. And this is a wow. very different yeah. attitude about it. And I, I, I don't know. I think, like you said, there's probably pros and cons to both of them, mm. but what made you stick with it? What was it just that you were good or did you find something else in it at the time? Or what made you get serious about it? I mean, initially, so I went to the club, I met my coach who I am incredibly thankful to Brad for. He was determined I was going to be a lifelong runner. There were so many kids. The problem with the English system, or though I guess here too, is when you show promise as a teenager and, and John, maybe I, I can't remember your background with this, but like when someone shows promise as a teenager, it's like, oh, there's the next Olympian. Yeah. I'm going to train them up. And so I was surrounded by these teenage kids who were just training so intensively. And I wanted to, like, I was pissed off at my coach for like, why are you holding me back? Yeah. And it really annoyed me at the time. But he kept saying, these aren't your peak years. Like, you've got to get through this time. Just trust me. And I did. But he trained me and I ended up finishing 16th in England of very little training. Like I found a tr my training log a few years ago mm. and it was my senior year of high school. I was running, my highest mileage was 31 miles. <laughs> so for a high schooler who was running at a high level, that was pretty, pretty minimal. And it, there was no structure. We'd turn up at the track and he'd be like, all right, how about 12 200s? You know, like yeah. <laughs> it just totally like whatever. Or let's do a five mile tempo, you know, just whatever. But that was so good for me. And so I did go through a phase, though, my senior year where, unfortunately, I was trying so hard to juggle social life and running and I didn't make the best choices. I was going out drinking a few times a week and my running suffered a lot. And I remember one time in particular going out on a Thursday and then having a race on a Saturday and feeling so terrible. So then I switched to Red Bulls because that's clearly the smart choice <laughs> and uh, my teenage brain. So then, of course, I didn't really sleep for a lot of time having two or three Red Bulls in a night. <laughs> yeah, but I knew it was there. And I remember my parents sitting me down one day and saying, my mum gently being like, you know, you really don't have to do this. If you don't want to run, you don't have to run. And I was like, how dare you? You know, like horrified. <laughs> but I can absolutely see why she said that. I wasn't committed. I was just plodding along, like not really trying. But I did manage to pull it together for those final few races. And yes, once I got through that part, it was not a question. Running was a part of me. And once I was able to get the confidence to say to my friends, look, I'm sorry, I'm going to bed early. I started weaning my time back from 3 a.m. to 2 a.m. to 1 a.m. And then it was like I had to be in bed by midnight. So yeah. I was quite proud of myself for that as a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, funny cool. you said that I had to do that when I was 20 or 21. Like that was uh -huh. the, the same kind of decision. I had to make the decision. I wasn't like an out of control party or going out or anything, but I still, I really had to make that decision before I, I really started to, I don't know, have any, have the success I wanted to have with, with mm -hmm. running. I was owning the definition of myself as this is what I care about. And this is what I'm going to prioritize. Whereas for a long time, I just figured whatever, like, yeah, I, still, I run hard. I can go do whatever I want outside of practice. Yeah. yeah. Was that your fourth year, Brian? Yeah. Between my at third you, and fourth years, when I just UCLA? decided... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I kind of quit all that stuff. Well, it's funny because 
So I've known Brian, you know, since our college days, and I'm a couple years younger than Brian, but I, I do remember when he did make that transition. I remember when he really kind of made a shift and it was noticeable. And even though he's one of the older guys on the team, it was clear that he was establishing himself as a leader. His example was very like, you know, influential for the rest mm -hmm. of the team. And the last two years from watching him in terms of his performances and his execution in races, for me, it was mind blowing, you know, watching because mm -hmm. I knew that something had changed. I could see it. I felt it. And then the results were there too. So it is interesting to know when you do make that decision that a lot doesn't have to change other than how you're looking at it, right? And then how you're going about executing in terms of making different decisions. And then the results are there like right off the bat. And mm -hmm. um, then of course, that's when you start to make the decision. Okay, well, how serious do I really want to be about this? Because the results motivate you uh, mm -hmm. to maybe think about having bigger goals and stuff like that. So I witnessed it in Brian, which, and it was really influential for me as a sophomore yeah. in college. So Brian, were you able to find a good balance? I, I really don't like that word, but there really isn't a better word to use <laughs> um, with going to that. Because for me personally, when I did commit, like fully commit, it went way too far the other direction. Mm. Did you find I, that? Yeah, I think for me, the going out stuff was not a hard thing to give up, if I'm really being honest. Mm -hmm. Like I was doing it because everybody was doing it and it was like, what else? to do sort of thing, but it wasn't really my passion to be out doing that kind of stuff. My problem was, I don't think I was passionate enough about the sport, I had enough confidence, to really go a hundred percent all in. And mm -hmm. I held myself back. Even when I was running my best, I was holding myself back, but ways that I didn't, that I, I can recognize more easily now than I could at the time, if that makes sense. And there's a lot of little things when I look back on that time that I just could see that I was trying to convince myself that I should be dedicated to it, but, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. maybe I didn't hundred percent believe enough in myself. So yeah, so I, I, I don't think I swung too far and, uh -huh. but that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is always interesting when someone commits like, yeah, there is that thing of when you go all in, you got no excuses left because you like, it is scary to do, to, to just give it everything. So. I love doing that. It's scary, but that's probably what I love the most about the idea of committing to something, especially something mm. big. I, I feel like we're trying to find answers to questions that we have, you know, about our lives and about mm. what we think we understand and what we want to understand. And when we're on the fence, we don't get answers. You know, we just get more confused. And the longer we spend <laughs> yeah. being confused, the tougher it is for us to really get to a uh -huh. place within ourselves that we're trying to get to. It's really not something outside of ourselves, in my opinion. I think that mm -hmm. chasing the mm -hmm. stuff, the big stuff, it's really just trying to uncover through action externally the things that we're trying to uncover internally. I always say running is an expression of the internal war that we all wage within. You know, it's an yeah. external expression of that. I like the idea of the bigger commitments. I like the idea of being forced to make a decision to be all in so we can definitively know if something's right for us or not, if something's going to work or not, and then what adjustments we need to make because of that mm. you know i would love to know though uh, all three of us are obviously quite driven and so is i would imagine the listeners but what about those people who have never made a decision like that i find myself so frustrated with people who never go out of the box never try anything new. like i really struggle with like come on just apply yourself just try whatever you, your passion is if it's baking gluten-free cakes do it <laughs> i wish i had something to say to someone there who was stuck in just the safety net yeah i love the idea of talking about 
this particular thing though, because it is interesting to see people who don't commit at all, you mm-hmm. know, and then watching where they go in terms of where their life's at right now. It's very mm-hmm. fascinating because yeah, I don't know, I'm very philosophical and I'm very spiritual. So I think about stuff that I probably shouldn't think about, but I think about <laughs> the universe and I'm obsessed with astronomy and the stars and mm. energy. And I'm sitting there going, there's a purpose for us being here. So why in the world are we doing anything other than going for it? Why are we not going for it? Like what yeah. like, we act as if we had all this time in this experience. I'm like, I don't know if anybody really knows the answers. I know what I believe, uh-huh. but regardless of what I believe, I'm like, dude, you, you, you just got to go for it. And whatever uh-huh. happens in this life, at least, you know, for sure, when it's all said and done, you, you try to answer a lot of the questions that you have and whatever else happens after this life, at least this part, you actually lived it to its fullest. And that's, that's where more majority of my motivation comes from. I just need mm-hmm. to answer these questions because I don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. I am with you 100%. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, as somebody who has struggled to go for it in the same way that it comes more naturally to you guys, I think mm. there's a few different reasons. And I think one of them is your idea on what it means to fail, like what not achieving the thing that you're going for says about you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this concept of growth mindset and fixed mindset. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much you've, you've read about it or learned about it. Yeah, but I love I think, that. But the thing about a fixed mindset is that you have this idea that you only have so much talent and you have to demonstrate it. And if you try to demonstrate that talent and you come up short, it's a reflection on you as a person, right? And I actually think that is a really useful way to think about most people's problems. I have no idea at all because often what you find is that somebody doesn't commit to it because then they have the excuse why it wasn't them or their talent that held them back, their inability to do it. It was that, oh, the circumstances, I just didn't give 100% and and it's baked in Mm. the reason, right? Mm. They don't have to have the result potentially put their self-identity at risk or something, right? And I say that because I think that was partly what I was doing as a runner like a long time ago. It was like, I'm going to run hard and stuff, but if the results don't come, I also know I wasn't giving 100% sort of thing. And then when I decided to do it, I literally had to say, I can accept this. I want to know what what I can do, right? And that was an actual thought process I had to go through. Do you really want to know? Because if you want to know, you're going to have to be willing to find out that you're not as good as you think you are, right? Mm-hmm. I yeah. love that you were able to do that from someone who did see things that way because a lot of people do struggle with that. And some people, it comes easier than others. But like you still had committed to running, you do things. I was more referring to people who literally don't do anything because they just are like, well, my, you know, my life's fine. It's good. Just, you yeah. know, very like, well, whatever, you know, just don't even have a hobby or don't like, I just really wish some people could see what the rest of the world sees in them. There's so many people who have such a lack of confidence that they won't even try something new. Even if it was like, I've never ridden a bike, I'm going to try to learn how to ride a bike as a grown adult or something like that. But I understand I may be being insulting to people. And I hope that doesn't come across that way of like, I don't know people's circumstances. So well. The whole point of what we're trying to build and, and what we've been working on through Go Be More in terms of the message that we share is we're addressing this thing, though, because we're trying to understand or at least help people to see why they're not going for the things that they really do want to go for. Mm-hmm. But I think when I first started talking to Brian about what we're doing here and I say dreams, even I don't think I understood what dreams 
what I implied by the dreams when I said, let's go for our dreams, let's inspire people to chase their dreams, as I do today. Like when we started two years ago working on Go Be More, I'm like the big North Star, you know, go for it, crazy. I could do anything, <laughs> nothing's impossible guy, right? You're the David Goggins, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, well, I wish. <laughs> David Goggins is, is, scares me in a good way. Uh, <laughs> but I was that dude, right? And there wasn't a lot of planning involved in the thought of the, even though, the way I executed on chasing big dreams, there was a lot of thoughtfulness to that. But when I talk about it now, when I think about it now in the context of what we're doing specifically through Go Be More, but now even just in general, when I talk about it, it's your dreams are a reflection of what your desires, what you were born, I think really to pursue and, and explore in your life, in this lifetime, in this experience. So to ignore that, in my opinion, not only is it wrong, but it's irresponsible because who we really are is really the gift, the contribution to the world that we're supposed to provide. And that actually makes a difference in, in making the world a better place. And the reason why, in my opinion, and this is why I push so hard with Go Be More and why I wanted to see it grow is because I want people to know and redefine the, the story they're telling themselves about why they should pursue what we call dreams or what we may label as passions that are extracurricular. I don't think they're extracurricular. I think they're actually indications of who we really are. And to explore that helps us to better understand who we really are and in turn leads to us being better versions of ourselves in the world, showing up better and the contributing to our communities and obviously to the world as a whole in a more meaningful and impactful way. So uh -huh. to ignore that, to ignore your dreams, in my opinion, is really to ignore the opportunity to fully understand who you are before it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that. My feeling with this and where I always struggle as the person who was not by default exactly in the same mindset as John is I think the trick is trying to find those small things that you can do because it's hard to go big bang. Like, okay, well, now I'm going to have a dream and I'm going to 100% go for it because it's too big of a change for a lot of people. So it's, what are the small things you can do? Either it's about kind of learning about yourself, trying to figure out, like, you know, analyze, maybe it's thinking of yourself and trying to figure out, do I have a little bit of a fixed mindset about this? Like learning what a fixed mindset mm. is and what the signs are for somebody uh, or finding, you know, that first step. If you can build a small habit, you can turn that habit into a big habit and that big habit can then turn into something that's really important for you, but you're not going to make a big habit on day one. You're going to have to start with a small habit and trust that you can make it and build it. So these are all these kind of things. John and I talk about this all the time because we're both passionate about these topics, right? But I look at a lot of this as what you want for other people, what you've expressed is the same thing I want for myself. And I've had mm. to go through a little bit of a different journey to convince myself that the fears are not really well-founded that the other people's, what they're going to think either doesn't matter or it's probably going to be positive. You know, all these kind of these things that might be holding me back because I'm misplacing my energy and putting my energy into, into mm -hmm. those aspects of the decision or of the thing I want to do. Can I ask you one more question about that? And then I, sure. you know, we've just derailed constantly from the conversation. <laughs> but no, yeah. I would love to know, as someone who maybe is moving more towards that trying to approach a growth mindset, who recognizes that you did spend a lot of time in that fixed mindset, People like John or myself, maybe who are like, rah, rah, you can go get this, like surrounding yourself with people like that, following people like that on social media. Does that help? Or is it like you're over there doing your stuff? Good for you. But I can't do that. Does it help or does it not? 
I do follow some of those people, say on, on social media, for example. Mm. And what I like is sometimes the the unique perspective. What I really want for most is to have somebody shift the way I'm thinking about stuff. And so if they can do that with a unique example or a unique framework of, of how to think about things or just turning something on its head, like that's what I look for. If it's just a post like you got this, you're a champion. I just skim past those. They don't really do anything <laughs> for me. If they're saying like tips on on things you can do or have you thought of it this way? Like that stuff works really mm-hmm. well for me. So it's more mm-hmm. about practicality or more about, I don't know, tactics or strategy or, or those kind of things resonate, Makes you sense. know? Yeah. And if it comes with a motivational component, that's great. But that's where I think I lean to in terms for myself. It's mm-hmm. so funny because yeah. Brian and I came from different sides of the spectrum of, I think, growth and chasing goals and dreams and, and stuff Absolutely. like that. It's so funny because what I've experienced in our working relationship with Gobi Moore and, and working with him and learning from him as he's worked on and developed and published Make the Leap, his book and stuff, we're talking about this all the time. And so mm-hmm. I'm putting out where I'm coming from and he's like putting out where he's coming from and we're just like, hmm, okay, how can we get to a little bit, yeah, of, yeah. A little bit of me? It's been that way. I cannot say th- thank you enough to Brian and the opportunity for us to have helped each other grow in the way that I believe we both have from really being on the opposite ends in so many ways Uh on this. And so my point in bringing that up is these kinds of conversations, you know, that we're having with you right now, I would encourage people to actually, this is why you need to talk to somebody who's not like you, not because Mm -hmm. you're going to necessarily agree, but because if you go into it with an open mindset, you can actually go, okay, well, I want to learn. So I need to talk to somebody that really understands a side of it that I'm not on so I can start mm-hmm. to get closer to that way so I can adjust and grow out of what it is that's stuck or that's like Brian would say maybe fixed in me right now as far as my standard approach to things I I feel very lucky to have had thus far this type of relationship because I'm way different than I was two years ago in terms of how I thought about it and thank god I'm, I feel way more mature <laughs> than I did two years yeah. ago and I'm 39 <laughs> so I mean you're never too old to go through those experiences I would echo that. And I'm also going to say, because we don't have two hours to do the podcast, I'm doing what's called a hard transition here because (laughs) I want to make sure that I have some really, you have some really interesting experiences, Tina, that I really want to dive into because Mm -hmm. you made a decision as an elite runner. I'll just give a recap. You can highlight this better, but you had represented Great Britain. You had run in half marathon world championships. You are building and creating this career for yourself as one of the top marathon runners, distance runners in England. And you decided to give it up. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can walk us through a little bit about that decision, because most, you know, 28, 29 year old on the cusp runners Mm -hmm. don't make that decision. Right. And so I'm wondering if you can walk us through a little bit about what led to that and what you had to go through to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a few factors involved, two major ones, and then one extra that little side thing that I'll add at the end. But so uh, the first one, which anyone who knows me probably is very aware of is when I mentioned earlier about transitioning swinging the other way to like obsession I had ended up down a path of disordered eating controlling my food to the point of where my period stopped age like 2019 and I didn't get it back and it's one of those things where I kept pushing it off I'll deal with that another time I'll deal with that another time and then suddenly I was 25 26 and I was like okay this has been a long time And so it started to weigh on me a bit more. I knew I was in that age where I 
wouldn't be too far off having children. My husband is nine years older than me. So I knew that, you know, he was mid thirties heading towards 40. So I knew that my window would maybe be a little bit earlier than someone who was married to someone the same age. And so that was weighing on me. And I started testing, finding ways to possibly figure it out, but couldn't get it to come back. Uh, And then at the same time, I noticed more and more, I was becoming more and more obsessed with the finished. It was like, can't wait to be done with this. I kept getting opportunities. I had the opportunity to to be the pacer for the London Marathon. And I just was dreading it. I just didn't want anything to do with it. I, I knew that it was a good opportunity and I knew I'd get paid for it, but I it was just stressing me out, even the idea of it. And then I was in January thinking about July's finish line. And then my sister had a baby and I went over there and I saw this little life like the first close baby I'd had to me and something just changed in me that was like I think this is what I want and then that sleep deprivation of spending this time with my sister and a newborn combined with still trying to run 90 miles a week one morning I just snapped and I said I was done so I feel like that led me to be able to make that decision easier than actually it sounds because I'd reached a breaking point I was burned out And my body wasn't in a good place. Whereas I think for most people, it's that slow awareness of what's going on. But I pushed past that until I just couldn't take it anymore. Wow. So, yeah. When you think back on that moment, do you remember feeling relieved just to let go of that and just move on? Yeah. Well, firstly, funny thing, Brian, as you know, um, St. Albans, it was the St. Albans track. So if you'd have walked around where the cathedral was, there's a track. It was right there. there. Yeah. Yeah, um, So, but initially, no, I just was like devastated and I called my husband and it was like three in the morning and I was like, I'm done. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about this later. And I was like, no, you don't get it. I'm done. And he just was like, okay, we'll we'll talk about it when you get home. Because I was flying back that day. (laughs) and so I had the whole plane ride to like blubber and cry to myself and write myself like how I was feeling and I'm so glad I did that now like I wrote down how I was feeling in the moment I didn't feel relieved until I tried to bully my husband into telling me what I should do Mm -hmm. and he did not succumb Uh, and eventually he said you got to make the choice and then once I decided and I was like yeah I'm done then I felt a huge relief of like it had been in there for a while but I just couldn't get myself to say it. And even when I stopped, I think that was such a dramatic emotional moment that I didn't know it was for sure. But once I said it in a calm, rational manner after thinking about it for a few days, then it felt, yeah, a huge relief. Did you have a plan for what you were going to do next or were you completely just, were you already doing your podcast at that time? Like, did you already have- I started stuff? it right around that time. Wow. <laughs> did you really? Okay. Wow. So, so you had at least a little something else to put your energy into yes. and, and stuff. Okay. Yeah, that was huge. Like at first I was like, why is anyone going to want to listen to me? I'm not an elite anymore. They're going to be like, and John mm-hmm. probably knows this, you're a has-been, like I'm yep. not going to listen to you. So I had that very much in my mind. But then mm. quickly I realized that people didn't care whether I ran my time's you know, 70 years ago or today. And so I started that and that gave me something to focus on to channel my energy into like supporting other people's running journeys. It's like, okay, I've reached the top of the mountain. It's really not as great as I thought it was going to be or close <laughs> to the top, not quite as high as you, John, but, um, and then I, I would say we were to about like to channel say. it into people yeah. we're <laughs> to about channel to it into other people. Yeah. Thank you to help them get their dreams. But I right. did have somewhat of a plan. Like I said, my sister had a baby. So I was like, 
I want that. Um, (laughs) So I did channel all my energy into that. But uh, actually, can I ask you, when you stopped training, did you go cold turkey? You just literally just stopped Mm -hmm. running or and then did that fix your issues with your period and and amenorrhea and all that stuff? Did it take much longer to to figure that out? It felt like it took forever, but actually I was pregnant within 10 weeks. So it really didn't take that long. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. But to me, I was like annoyed because the doctor was like, it's going to take 10 to 12 weeks, 10 to 16 weeks. And I was like, I'm going to do it in eight. And so like when it didn't happen in eight, it was like, oh, this is taking forever. But yeah, it wasn't actually, well, being pregnant at 10 weeks would have been, it was right around when it should have been. So yeah, it was cold turkey. I think because I made the choice, I felt empowered and I didn't struggle with it. I did get that back. I worked with a dietitian, Nancy Clark, who's a very well-known dietitian. And she helped me like work through it. And I, I don't know, I just was able to shift away from those thoughts over time, but make the primary shift and be okay with gaining weight and my body changing. I think that's fantastic. And honestly, I feel like it echoes in some ways, my experience, very different, but I had to let go of certain thoughts and embrace a different priority, a different belief about myself and what I wanted in order to, to be able to make that transition. It sounds like that was central to yours as well. And I guess you got your started on your podcast. And I'm really curious about this. You have one of the more successful running podcasts and you're very dedicated to things like social change to BIPOC communities, to climate change. You're very passionate about a lot of these issues. Was that your intention at the beginning? How much have you grown into that as a Mm. podcaster? And how much of that was there at the beginning and part of what drove you to want to do it in the first place? I love that question. No, at the beginning, it was definitely like, this is what a running podcast is. People want to hear from elite athletes. They want to hear what they're eating and what their schedule is so they can copy it. And I was just doing what I thought people wanted to hear. And I like to pride myself on being the one that cracked open elites to like, at the time it was still very much people kept their cards close to their chest. And so that's what I think I focused on was I'm going to get you to admit something that you've never admitted anywhere before. (laughs) And so I focused on that. But then, yeah, I'm definitely one of those I never, is it empathetic or empathic? I, em- empathetic. I know that empathetic. Empathetic. Yeah, empathetic. Would, yeah, empathetic. What's, empatha- what's empath- empathic? What's empathetic? Yeah, what does I, that mean? I, well, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, an empath is like... Um, Somebody who what? literally feels the other person's I, feelings. So yeah. I am that person. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I, oh, okay. I will research that on my own rather than spending this, but I always never know what to say. I am an empath and I really, really oh, feel if I see someone homeless on the street, like I want to like get out and give them my shoes. Yeah. I really struggle with anyone who's suffering. And so I always had that in me. My dad and my husband are both like moral compass, like dead straight. So I've always had that in me as well to do the right thing. But then, Uh, yeah, I noticed just over time that I wanted to more and more be, I don't really like to use the word ally, but be that person who could, if I had a platform, I wanted to use it to do good. And to, yeah, a lot of it was be able to look back and be like, I did the right thing. I wasn't chasing money. I wasn't chasing fame. I was just doing what felt like the right thing to do. And I think a lot of that, yeah, my husband and my dad, but then- I noticed the more that I did it, the more I empowered and good I felt about myself, not just surrounding myself from different voices, different people, but also just what spoke to me. And some of the conversations are really uncomfortable and there's 
elements of things that I either don't understand or I have still stumble my way around, especially with something like someone who's non-binary, trying to remember to say they, them or there. Like I find it really hard, but I also like the challenge of trying to better myself constantly. So yeah, just more and more, it just felt right. That's really what it came down to. It just felt more and more I traveled down that path and moved away from interviewing elite runners, the more it felt like the right thing to do. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you just need to have these conversations. And so the fact that you grew into it in terms of making it a bigger part of what your platform shares now is huge Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. those conversations are actually extremely difficult for everybody to have. I don't care if you're in the group or in any particular community that feels like you have a right to talk about something. And I'm specifically thinking of being an African-American male in America Mm -hmm. right now. It's a very interesting time because in many ways, it's almost like you feel like you could say what what you feel has been your experience. But I'm like, as a black man, it's really tough. And I don't mind saying it because I don't care if people get mad about it or not. Everybody's experience is different, even if you share certain things in common with those who look like you who are having for the most part, a certain type of experience. I'm not having the same experiences that other African-American males are describing and that we're seeing at least being shared heavily in the news. So I find those conversations very difficult, even as a Black man who right now in many ways has a right to say whatever it is that mm. we feel like we haven't been able to say before. So I appreciate what you're doing, Tina, honestly. And it just as a human being, I think that it's important that we try to relate to each other and you're not going to be perfect at it, but that's the mm-hmm. point is that mm-hmm. you have to do it in order to get better at it, not be perfect at it, get better at it. So people should be listening to podcasts like yours for the opportunity to p- be a part of those conversations because yeah. they're difficult regardless. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, Tina, Mm. because running for real, you get into these conversations, right? And it's a very organic conversational way, but your latest podcast, Running Realized, is very different and it's very polished and very produced. And for people who listen to things like NPR shows or something, I don't know exactly what the best uh, equivalent, Radio Lab, something like this, where it has, it. this is a big difference and it's really cool. And you find some really interesting stories and you're telling it in a different way. And can you tell us a little bit about that transition to doing that show and maybe the challenge of it and the goal of it and what what you're getting out of it? Yeah, I mean, I think I was noticing that most of the running podcasts were very, um, they were just all interviews. And I was like, there's not really any that are like, yeah, highly produced that really take a deep dive into a topic, but in a very thoughtful way. And at the same time, I became uh, friends with Knox Robinson and he's become a very close friend of mine. I just felt like I could talk to him about anything. Like, you know, yes, he's a black man, but it wasn't just about that. I felt like he was this wise person that I could ask my questions to about life. (laughs) And so I called him and I said, would you be interested in doing some kind of podcast with me? And he was like, yeah, oh, yeah, of course. And then I was like, okay, if we're going to do this, like make it different, it's got to be, we've got to have a producer. And I'd been talking to a friend of mine who said he wanted, he had spoke to me a few months ago about doing a different podcast. And I said, I, I know you were set on this, but like, would you be interested in this area? And he immediately like jumped to it. And he's been amazing. He's the one that comes up with the story, like into an arc. It's obviously, as anyone will listen, it's very much in a first person format. Like we don't, stage the questions we don't even know what 
each other are going to ask or anything. But he very much tries to make it into a piece that works really well together. And so, yeah, it's just been really challenging. Definitely. There's a lot of things, again, that I don't understand and I'm learning. But also, yeah, it's nice to do something that's a bit more professional sounding and and challenging in a different way. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's really cool. I mean, honestly, it's, yeah. it, it is refreshing to have. I mean, I listen to a few shows like this that are more top on cultural topics or you know science topics or something like this. And to have one focused on running, it's really amazing. I think you're doing incredible work. And it fits this transition to me, this growth of what you were mm-hmm. trying to, you found yourself moving this direction with the conversations. What's the next step, right? And so I love your next step and I want people to listen to it. And, and I love that you continue to take next steps because I mm-hmm. think that's the mm-hmm. other challenge for all of us. We're trying to figure out how do we keep growing? Yeah. How do we go be more? How do we, what's the next step for us? Um, I need to wrap us up. I want to keep talking to you and I don't have time. <laughs> so Tina, I guess I need to end with this podcast with our question. We always end every podcast, which is our brand is go be more. What do the words go be more mean to you? I think a lot of it is what we've talked about today. It's taking yourself beyond um, what is, it's not even about being extraordinary. I mean, I don't feel like someone has to have a big talent or something that they are one of the best in the world at. It's just taking yourself beyond your comfort zone and, and stepping out to a place that feels like it's helping you to grow and evolve. And I genuinely believe that we should be learning our entire life. And there's a part of me that feels excited for when I'm like 78 years old, like all the things I will have learned. And so I'd say it's just what we've been talking about today, like stretching yourself and taking that deep breath and then doing it anyway, whatever scares you take a deep breath and go for it. Yeah. So I'd say that not a very like polished answer as we were just talking about that, but that's, I, I'm not usually polished. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic answer and it resonates with me, Tina. So, um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff we didn't cover. Anybody who's listening, I hope they go and listen to your podcast because you have an amazing story. You're an amazing person doing amazing work and it's really an honor to have you on the show. And thank you very much. Well, thank you. And on behalf of everyone who listens and is a fan of Go Be More, thank you both for all the work that you're doing and all the good you're putting out into the world. Well, we're here for each other at the end of the day. So we appreciate every opportunity to tell these uh, great stories. And we learn something new on every conversation. And uh, no, I same thing goes for me, Tina. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to have you on. I hope there's more opportunities for us to do stuff with you in the future, but no, no matter what, keep doing what you're doing. It's meaningful, it's impactful, and we both enjoy it. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I want to take a moment to call out our other show, Fueling the Pursuit, presented by UCAN, where this week we speak with 50-year-old world record-breaking triathlete Dee Dee Griesbauer. She shares the secrets to her longevity and her continued passion for the sport. It's a really fun and inspiring conversation. A big thank you to Michelle at Creatives Collective Marketing for production assistance. You can send us feedback directly by emailing me at brian at gobimore.co. Be sure to leave us a rating and review, and even easier, tell a friend about the show. Then, stop by our shop at gobimore.co and pick up a t-shirt to help remind you to stay committed to chasing your dreams every day. For all of us at Gobimore, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too.